Welcome back to Revive School. This is Lesson 57 in the Historical Books. I'm Tom Schieffer, and I am so excited to be back with you as we dig into 1 Kings chapter 2. Uh, the title tends to have the last words of David. We had really the last words of David to the people back in the end of um, 2 Samuel chapter 23. These are kind of the last words that David has for his son Solomon as he takes over as king. Now, uh, give you a little bit of run in or uh, run up or whatever the word is. Back in the spring of 2006, the congregation that I served, we had the building broken into by two high school guys. They came in, they broke windows, they, they tore up stuff, they slashed some paintings, and they also emptied all of the uh, uh, fire extinguishers into the worship area. $28,000 worth of damage that our insurance company took care of. Trying to talk to the congregation after that happened and, and build off of that and how we can move forward, the Lord gave me these three statements that seem to keep getting reinforced in Scripture. Actions have consequences. That was the first one. And we're going to see a lot of that here in 1 Kings 2. Second, forgiveness is required. You're going to be surprised at how much grace is being shown in 1 Kings 2. But then, trust is earned. And that is also going to come into play as well. You know, for me, and a lot of times in these passages, it really helps me to take notes. And when I started digging into First uh, Kings chapter 2, I started actually charting things out. And that's what we're going to do today in a great way, is to see how this pieces together. Because it begins with a spiritual charge from David to Solomon. So Solomon becomes our first character that we need to take and look at. He is going to be king. That's his issue, is being king. And how does that apply? Because here in verse 1, as time approached for David to die, these are, are really his last words. He instructs Solomon, who's going to be king. As for me, he says, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong and courageous like a man. Where have we heard that line before? Joshua. All the time. It, it's like it just wells up out of David at these moments. Be strong and courageous like a man and keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. What part don't you recognize? All of it. Obey it. This is written in the law of Moses that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. This is a very key operation and verse. So keep what the Lord requires. Getting this all to fit in here is going to get interesting, I think, before it's all said and done, but that's how we do that. Why is this important? Because it will lead to blessing. This is how it operates. Obedience 
If you're going to be king, that's your issue. Keep what the Lord requires and you'll be blessed. We're going to see how that uh, fleshes out for us to keep God's word. The same is true for us. Isn't it Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. Obedience, keep what the Lord requires. That's kind of hanging in the back of Solomon's mind. Solomon being David's son, God had promised David an everlasting kingdom, but it continually is going to depend on obedience to God's word. This is what's been written. You'll have success in everything you do and wherever you turn if you keep his word. The Lord's going to carry out his promise, that's verse 4, that he made to me. If your sons are careful to walk faithfully before me with their whole mind and heart, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. There's a lot of debate by scholars and and whether or not they're professional or amateur. Is this a conditional word or an unconditional promise? There's there's a, a tension that's raised here. And we're going to see Solomon like his father and the other kings to come, they're going to fail. Uh, I heard somebody refer to uh, the rest of 1 Kings and 2 Kings as the breaking bad of the Old Testament. It just keeps on going down a path. But yet God's going to keep his promise. He's going to keep it in Jesus Christ. This is part of the, the pointing that all comes along. So after we have this spiritual charge to Solomon... Now comes a political charge. This is kind of the unfinished business of David as he's approaching the end of his life. This is going to be about the serious threats to the kingdom. Look here, verses 5 and 6. You know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of Israel's army, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He murdered them in a time of peace to avenge blood shed in war. He spilled that blood on his own waistband and on the sandals of his feet. And then uh, act according to your wisdom, David says to Solomon, and do not let his gray head descend to Sheol in peace. So our, our second character here in the midst of this is Joab. I think Joab is one of the most incredibly interesting characters that we've seen here in, in the midst of, of uh, Samuel and in the kings. He's full of contradictions. He's full of victories. He brings victory to David. He brings grief to David. He has a lack of self-control. He has wisdom. All of this combines into this commander of Joab. He was David's nephew. We've seen that in um, in, the, in their previous studies. He murders Abner. We saw that earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 2. That's Joab's brother, or as revenge for killing Joab's brother. And then after he's, Abner is promised uh, uh, and pledged and received forgiveness from David, but he goes ahead, Joab does, and kills him. That's not a good thing. He killed Absalom in disobedience to David's orders in 2 Samuel 18. He murders Amasa, another one of his family members, a cousin. He does it treacherously. That's in 2 Samuel 20. All of these things are building up. In 2 Samuel 24, he gives David wisdom. When David is going to go into sin by starting to count all of the people, he goes, what are you thinking? Are you being an idiot? 
This is against God. David didn't listen to Joab at that point, and he did it, and we, we saw some of those consequences. So all of this comes into play, and then he falls into this conspiracy with Adonijah, one of David's sons who tried to grasp the throne. Let's, let's go to the chessboard. It's always fun to have that up there in the midst of all of this as we're looking at, at how this all plays out, because Joab goes with Adonijah and starts this rebellion, even though Joab... In the rebellions that had happened beforehand with Absalom and with others, he had backed David. This time he doesn't. So the issues that we run into with Joab is murder. Notice that. Disobedience. And conspiracy. This is all piling up. And what does David say about him? What's going to be the instruction? No peace for this guy. After all is said and done, no peace. Okay, well, we're going to find out what comes out of that later. But let's move on. Here continues this political charge, verse 7. Show loyalty to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table because they supported me when I fled from your brother Absalom. This is, oh, Barzilli, or Zillai, or however, and I have to keep looking at how, even how to spell it. Fascinating guy. What's the issue for him? Support him. He is actually essentially given a royal pension. Eat at the table of the Lord. And he is shown loyalty. Start seeing a pattern. I probably should have done him in a whole different color just so that we can see that there's a difference here in the midst of it. So, it keeps showing a, a pattern and a development here. His descendants, this we get this, his descendants are found in Ezra and Nehemiah. This is lived out, and we see him come back a little bit later in our study. Then he says this, uh-oh, Keep an eye on Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Bahurim, who is with you. He uttered malicious curses against me to the day I went to wherever that is, but he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, and I swore to him by the Lord, I will never kill you with the sword. Um, verse 9, but don't let him go unpunished forever, for you are a wise man. You know how to deal with him to bring his gray head down to Sheol with blood. He asked for mercy from David. David gives it, but there's this question of whether or not this, this request for mercy is real. Here's where trust becomes earned. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's part of the family of Saul and related to all of that. So here we've got Shimei. He cursed David. That's the issue that he's dealing with. But watch him. Keep an eye on him. Watch him. Be ready. And then here's the word. David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. There's, if you go to Israel today, if you go to Jerusalem today, they've got David's tomb. It's on what they call Mount Zion. It's modern Mount Zion. It really wasn't part of the city of David, which was on the Mount of Ophel. We don't know where David's buried, but he was resting with his fathers. 
That's that burial of, of within the family aspect and in the city of David. Now, this is fun. Verses 11 and 12. The length of time David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron, 33 years in Jerusalem, and then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingship was firmly established. We're smack dab in the midst of the golden age of Israel and the kingdom. Any idea how many presidents would have served in this period of time? So David served 40 years. How long does Solomon reign? Do you guys know that ahead of time? No, please tell us. 40. There's a consistent. That's 80 years. How many presidents in the United States have served in the last 80 years? A bunch. You have to go all the way back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. This is pre-World War II. That period of time, sometimes it helps us to even get a, a, a glimpse into this, this golden age of Israel. So here's the instructions that David's given to Solomon. Solomon buries his father, and now what's he going to do? So here comes Adonijah. Here's our playing piece. Adonijah, Solomon's brother, comes into play. Verse 13. Now Adonijah, son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and she asked, Do you come peacefully? Peacefully, he replied. And he has this question. May I talk to you? Go ahead. And he basically says, You know the kingship was mine. All Israel expected me to be king. But then the kingship was turned over to my brother, for the Lord gave it to him. So now I have just one request for you. Don't turn me down. Bathsheba says, go on. Please speak to the king Solomon, since he won't turn you down, and let him give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife. What sounds crazy to you guys on this one? Not sure she's even Solomon's to give. Oh, that's a good question. We can come back to that one. Not even sure if he's Solomon's to give. What else? I don't know. There just seems some other intent there. Other intent. We're going to get to that. But take a look. Adonijah has a different mother. Who does he go to for help? He goes to Solomon's mom. Help me out here. This, if in any kind of conflict situation, who's she going to back? Her son. But yet he goes there. And so he's back into play. Adonijah, which I didn't spell right. Oh, well, there we go. Get get an I in there. The issue is he attempted a coup. We saw that previously. And I can't even get the coup in there. And what did Solomon say about his brother? He basically he said, and wrapped this thing up by saying, uh, if, if you do well, you'll live. If you do evil, you're going to die. So there's an issue of character that we're going to watch. We're going to see what happens. Things are going to change. So I'm going to, we, we better introduce Bathsheba into our little schedule here because he, she's now into play. Sheba. And we've got Abishag. He wants her as wife. So Abishag is desired. That is our 
issue here. Bathsheba is mom. She gets a request and she has to do something with it. And Abishag, she's just mentioned. We don't know how she feels about any of this. Other than we learn and we know from extra biblical materials that as a king transfers, and, and, and this kingship transfers, everything that was owned by the king transfers to the new king. And so while we're not ever quite sure of the full status of Abishag, she was part of David's household, and so she transfers into Solomon's. I mean, she was the stunning Miss Holy Land beauty contest winner that was here to keep David warm. And so this beautiful lady is now desired by one of the sons, is approached by, by you know, to Bathsheba, to ask Solomon to give to Adonijah. So what does Bathsheba do? Why? I mean, why would she even say, oh, I'll go ahead and talk to, to my son. But she did. Verse 19. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him about Adonijah. The king stood up to greet her, bowed to her, sat down on his throne, and had a throne placed for his king's mother, and she sat down in his right hand. And now she asks, I have a small request of you. Don't turn me down. Go ahead, Mom, ask. The king replied, that's a variation of the theme here, for I won't turn you down. Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to your brother Adonijah as his wife. Solomon answers his mother, why are you requesting Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Since he is my elder brother, you might as well ask the kingship for him, for Abathar the priest and for Joab son of Zeruiah. This was a challenge. Then Solomon took an oath. Go ahead. And Solomon took an oath by the Lord. May God punish me, be it ever so severely, if Adonijah has not made this request at the cost of his life. Oh, there. Actions have consequences. Forgiveness is required. Trust is earned. The request by Adonijah for Abishag was basically a call for give me the throne. That element that we even saw with Absalom. Remember what Absalom did with David's concubines? What did what, what'd he do? Slept so all Israel could see him. This was a sign I am taking the throne. Here is um, Adonijah saying, I'm going to take the throne, and when I've got Abishag, it's mine. And essentially, if Solomon acquiesces to that, he's fine with it. Verse 24, And now as the Lord lives, the one who established me, seated me on the throne of my father David, and made me a dynasty as he promised, I swear Adonijah will be put to death today. But he doesn't finish there because he has to deal with the rest of those that come into play. What's interesting, this is the last mention of Bathsheba in Scripture other than in Psalms when 
David is talking about the sin that he had with her. Last mentioned, never mentioned again, not as Solomon's mother. She's out of the picture. Abishag, it's the last mention of her in all of Scripture, unless there's a couple of guys that think she might be who Solomon is talking about in Song of Songs when he is hungering for a Shulamite. Shunamite, Shulamite, it's a stretch, but it makes a really interesting love triangle. Uh, to say the least, is essential for time, just to kind of piece this together. He's going to, Solomon's going to wrap all of this up. So verse 25, King Solomon gave the order to Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, who struck down Adonijah, and he died. So Adonijah died, killed, wiped out. And now next, the king says to Abathar, the priest, go to your fields in Anarathoth. Even though you deserve to die, I will not put you to death today, since you carried the ark of the Lord God in the presence of my father David, and you suffered through all that my father suffered. So, Abathar, the priest, we're going to... Abathar. His issue is conspiracy. But he was priest. So he's banished. Things are starting to happen. He banished Abathar from being the Lord's priest, and it fulfilled the Lord's prophecy that had been spoken at Shiloh against Eli's family. All of this starts coming together. That's 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. Well, Adonijah, he hears all about this. Oh, well, it's, well, no, actually, Joab hears about this because now Adonijah's gone, Abathar's been banished, Joab is picking up on all of this. He goes rushing to the horns of the altar and he hangs on to the horns of the altar, again, wanting to be saved. The horns of the altar were for innocent men. We're going to kind of really scrunch this together, read the details, because the interplay back and forth. And Solomon says, I must stay consistent. You will die. So Benaniah takes care, and Joab is killed. Again, building out everything that David has charged him with. Take a look at the implications of all of this. This is all in the first week? All in the, potentially. Some of it probably took a little bit longer than that. We're not given a timeline. Abathar was joint priest with Zadok. When Abathar is banished, Zadok takes over. Joab was commander and also worked with Benaniah. Benaniah is the one who killed him. Benaniah then becomes Solomon's commander. Actions have consequences. Murder, disobedience, conspiracy. Curses, attempted coups, conspiracy. They have consequences. Support of the king's anointed. There are instructions as it leads this out. Don't let him have any peace. Notice, show loyalty the one who showed loyalty. Watch the one who is of evil. And we don't know what his true heart is. As we go on through here, well, guess what? Shimei, who they said, watch. He said, you know what? 
if you stay here in Jerusalem and never leave, you can live. But you leave, you die. For possibly a legitimate reason, because of some of his servants running off, Shimei leaves. He comes back. He said, no, I told you what was going to happen. He dies and is killed. Adonijah, Abathar, it all has implications. You can read those details. I urge you to do that in 2 Kings 2. There's debate amongst a number of folks about whether or not Solomon acted justly or unjustly and how he carried out his father's instructions, how he fleshed that out even in the midst of everything. We don't know. He's letting us see how this was carried out, how the actions were carried out, whether or not they were condoned or necessary or not. There's no comment on the motives. But the writer does say that Solomon is king. And these rivals, all of these rivals that have been on the chessboard, have been eliminated. He is now solidly in the place of king. Uh, commentator Tony Merida said this, perhaps this is a story of mixed motives, much like the story of our lives. This doesn't justify injustice, but it does highlight human weakness in leadership and the need for a perfectly just king and a better kingdom. Thankfully, God, by his grace, made good on his promise and gave us the ruler we need in Jesus Christ. It still points. Here's something else that strikes me. Our primary player, Solomon. He's given spiritual instruction and he's given political instruction by his father before he died. And he is given blessing at the beginning of his rule. It's incredible to watch and we're going to watch that unfold over these next several chapters. But was some of this also a challenge to Solomon from his father. Will you learn the lessons I did not learn? Will you keep to everything the Lord requires? Because I want you to see, even at the beginning of your kingdom, the consequences. When there's murder and disobedience and conspiracy and coups and cursing, it leads to death. But when you are loyal... It leads to elongated life. Will you learn the lesson? Will you remember this lesson? Will you carry on in obedience to the spiritual charge? Or will you fall into the trap that all of these, who in one sense or another had moments of loyalty, will, they, will you fall into the trap that they fall into? Actions have consequences, Solomon. You're going to be the instrument of those consequences. Will you learn from them? Maybe that's the question for us, too. Will we learn from what we are learning and reading and studying in 1 Kings, as well as all of Scripture? 
Will we take it to heart? Will we actually learn to keep everything that the Lord requires? Verse 3 again. Keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn so that the Lord will carry out his promise that he made to me. If your sons are careful to walk faithfully before me with their whole mind, their whole heart, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. We know that there's no human being that can do that. Aren't we glad that Jesus Christ did? Solomon's on his throne. He has started. And he's going to carry out more of what his father David instructed him. Will he learn the lesson? Will we? Let's carry on and find out. God bless you. 